This is episode 22 of Hoops Forum, a production of Radius Athletics and a quick timeout podcast. I'm Tony Miller, and I'm joined once again by my co-host, Randy Sherman. Big thanks to 323 Sports for sponsoring Hoops Forum. It is camp season. There's still a little bit of time for you to put in your orders for the 323 Sports camp t-shirts. They are moisture management, one color print tees. They're only $6.99 a piece. To order those, visit 323sports.com, or you can contact sales at 323sports.com. They'll be sure to do it right for your sports camp. This is the fourth installment of a series that Randy and I have been talking about covering the cognitive biases that affect potentially affect our coaching. If by chance you missed the first few episodes, you can go back and watch those on the Radius Athletics YouTube page or listen to them by searching a quick timeout podcast. This week, we're talking optimism bias. What we've typically been doing here is just the beginning, kind of starting with just a general definition of what that is, and then we'll get into how it can potentially be impacting our coaching. I'll say this, Randy, before I ask you to define optimism Mm -hmm. bias as coaching, what I have found is this takes like a real mental exercise on our part as coaching to really identify these. I feel like you can get to the point where you're like, man, I I don't know, and you just kind of keep going on your merry way. The long-term effects that I'm seeing can be really like paralyzing to your program. Yeah, I think, I mean, you got to want to study this stuff and, and you want, you have to want to become a, a more rational decision maker. And in order to get there, you kind of have to recognize some flaws and recognize some shortcomings and change and change is hard. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's go ahead and start with it. Just in your own words, what is optimism bias? In my own words, I would say it's sort of like as human beings, we have a natural tendency to be optimistic optimistic to think that the future will be better than the past or the present that I guess would be my own words. And and like, that sounds like, I mean, maybe a lot of things I'm going to say today sound like I'm trying to be like a downer or like trying to tamp down some of the things that coaches have that, that serve them well, like a go-getter type spirit or something that, that served them well. But research suggests that optimism, about 80% of humans present with optimism bias and that we believe the future will be better than the present or the past. And that's good. It serves us well in many respects, but there's also some downsides to thinking that overly optimistic. So I guess that those would be my, my explanation. The crux from the research I read uh, around this, when I prepared to write this article a few years ago, the real killer crux, the defining point of where optimism bias really hits home, at least it hit home to me, was that we tend to overestimate the future when we feel like we have direct control over a situation. So that that may be something we can talk about more today too. Yeah, I believe that you're basically created, we're, we're created as hopeful individuals. And so there's that confident expectation that things will turn around where it becomes a danger, which is the next part that I want to get into with you. Very simply for me is when you feel like things are going to turn around with without correcting anything without, or without making any adjustments to anything, or just with being blind to things that could potentially not allow you to have success. Yeah. I hope I didn't steal your thunder there. What, what no, do you good. feel like are either the biggest danger or some of the the dangers in our coaching as it applies to our coaching of having optimism bias or ignoring the fact that that could be impacting the way that we're running our programs or coaching our teams. Well, let's start, let's start big, 
big picture items first before we get into like maybe things on the court. I'm just talking about being as a leader, as a, as a director of a basketball program, head coach, high school, college, pro, whatever organization that you're in charge of. I think the biggest danger has to do with sort of like staying realistic about where your team and program are on the competitive ladder. Um, I think it, it can impact goal setting. I think that it can also lead to sort of short-term deci- short-term thinking that makes us make decisions that, that maybe feel right in the short term, but don't serve us well in the long term. So those are some dangers, I think, of, of, of being overly optimistic that, that are sometimes our, our goals and, and there's nothing wrong with having high goals and high expectations. But there's also like maybe a timeline element or there's also like an idea of like when, you know, what what is um, what is a realistic outcome for our team? And I think optimism bias sometimes creates this disconnect between what coaches believe could happen and what actually has a chance of happening. Do you feel like there's reasoning behind that disconnect? I think maybe the simplest way to put that is what you said, kind of like what reality is to what our perception is. Yeah. Because again, that that hopeful, I know things are going to change versus the reality they're not. And it's not, it's like you said at the beginning, it's not being, this isn't being a pessimist being versus, you know, optimistic. Mm -hmm. This is really accounting for factors. Like you said, Mm -hmm. what's actually going to happen? Why, why is there that disconnect between reality and perception? Well, I think, I think based on the research I read and and it's what really hit home to me in my work and and reflecting on my own experiences, plus my work with coaches in, in, in my mentoring program is that the, that killer, detail that's mentioned is that when we feel like we're in control of the situation or or it's pertinent to us, we tend to be optimistic. In fact, the research suggests that when we look at someone else, we're quite accurate about predictability, making predictions. Let me give you some real world, maybe examples. So like, let's say it's that Instagram moment where you just got on your knee and asked your future wife, will you marry me? Right. And as you hug and embrace and walk away and someone said, hey, what do you you're going to get married? Cool. Congratulations. What do you think the chances are that you you and this your fiance in 10 years will be divorced at that moment when you're full of bliss and love? You would say zero percent. But like, that's not the reality. <laughs> but if I ask, say, maybe you watched a friend engage and you're like, oh, man, like that. I can't believe they're getting married like that's So that's maybe a, a real world example of like. There's evidence to suggest that that we as human beings will, when asked, like, what's the likelihood you think that you'll get cancer? And we'll say like, oh, like 18% or something. Well, cancer rates are much higher than that. Like, so so we tend to be overly optimistic when it involves us, when it involves me, when I feel like I'm in control of the outcome. I'm not going to get divorced because I'm going to be a good husband. That that's just not in line with with reality. I've talked to coaches before who maybe we'll talk about like a coaching change or something like a a coach is going to you know like a prominent coach in the pros or college like takes a different job, and this same coach who's maybe he's he's a coach, and we're talking about a coaching move and says, oh, that'll be a good move. It'll it'll take him a little while to get it going. But but once he does, that'll be a good move. Right. 
But then I'm talking to this same coach in my one-on-one mentoring with him. And he's in the first or second year of a program and he's just pulling his hair out. Like, like, why aren't we winning? I got it. Like, well, you, I mean, you just said it's going to take Nick freaking Saban a couple years to get it going. But like, we're able to recognize it will take someone else, but not us. Biggest danger, what hit, kept hitting home to me was, was, and, and in the work I do with coaches, I try to walk a fine line between being like downer and like, hey, coach. And, but I also don't want to be too cheerleader either. He like, I got, you know, so like, what I have to help coaches do is realize how to be realistic in your estimations of your team. That's there's nothing wrong with that. There's that's that's to me that will help you set more accurate and attainable earmarks for where you in your progress as a program. For those who can't see this, they're listening to this on audio. Let me pull this up because the example that you just kind of gave, I'd like to dive a little bit deeper into it. Mm-hmm. It's the idea that you know, my program is this, it's going to be this, and we're going to achieve it. We're going to achieve it next year. We're going to achieve this right away. And again, just starting with what are we realistic about this? Give the example that, that you've correlated with this picture here and talk us through how you would work with one of your coaches to help them have real, you know, actual expectations versus what they would hope for and avoid optimism bias. First, let me say this, this particular bias we're talking about when when I wrote this article, I think it was like June of 2018. So about this time, three years ago, off season is in full swing and and it's preparation for next year. And, and, and that, that's the conversations that, that I'm hearing and, and listening to is like everything about the future, the future, next season, next season, not the current one next season. So that's probably why this popped up as an idea this time of year. But what you see on the screen, if you're if you're able to see the screen and not listening, is is a, a graphic that basically I thought of like categories to, to put teams in. And the box sizes matter. That's about proportionate to the amount of teams out there in your league or, or in the basketball universe. The box sizes matter. Like there's probably as about as many super elite teams as there is, you know, it's almost like a bell curve, right? So most teams are just okay. Some are terrible. Some are elite. That's a small group on either end of the spectrum. Most are just somewhere in the middle between bad, average, and good. So I did an experiment, Tony. It was after this article, reading the reading this research and writing the article where anonymously through a Google form where a, the, all the coaches I work with could submit to me during this time of year, maybe it was a few months from now, maybe more like August, September, but um, predict your team's record for the following, for the upcoming season, win-loss record. What do you think your record will be? I'm the only person that's going to see it. They, this doesn't, they're not, they don't have to like blow sunshine for their fans or their players. It's just me. I tried to control for all that so I could get the best, most honest prognostication from the coaches I work with. So they submitted Google Forms. I just kept the data. And then fast forward five or six months later, the season's over. And I just started looking back. And Tony, let me tell you, coaches were not bad, not terrible, but whatever's worse than terrible at like awful, terrible, whatever term you can think of at at this. And it was to the optimistic side, Hmm. meaning I had people saying they were going to be 18 and six and they were like four and 20. (laughs) 
literally that far off. That's when I knew that like, okay, like we got to talk about this. We've got to, I've got to be here for you as a coach because something's, we've got a wide disconnect and it was happening. Male coaches, female coaches, boys, teams, girls, teams, college, high school. It um, Now I don't want to slam dunk on all my coaches that I work with. Some of them were pretty, m- many of them were, were close plus or minus a few games, but I was I was pretty blown away by the amount of people that were not only off but like far off. Hmm. So, and again, I don't think this experiment would like pass scientific rigor. It was, you know, uh, but just anecdotal, maybe a little stronger than that, but because I did try to like control for some variables where I felt like I was getting honesty, but like when I talked to a few coaches about like what's the what I saw, what reminded me of this article I wrote of like, I thought we would blank or I thought we would be better. I thought we would get better at this or even what I would call some, some magical thinking of like some, an example might be, well, I didn't know when you asked me that I didn't know my, you know, some of my starters were going to get hurt or something. Well, like, you know, that the Dallas Cowboys are going to lose some starters and, you know, Chris Paul didn't play too. So like, why wouldn't that happen to you? And it's like this this optimism bias, this bias to when we think about the future, we tend to overestimate how good it will be. It's not my opinion. That's that's research based fact. So I'm, I'm assuming most coaches are thinking, OK, so how do I avoid this? What's the solution to this outside of just not being so optimistic? <laughs> Before we get into that, though, because we've yeah. talked bigger picture, like how my team's going to do, this also shows up in our tactics as well, correct? Sure. Absolutely. Can you give some examples so that we can, again, I feel like awareness is a lot of ways to just avoid these biases. How do these some from time to time show up in our actual coaching tactics? Well, again, let's, let's refer back to the definition of like, it's this disconnect between we think things will go better than they do. So let's start a little bit smaller than the big picture, but still zooming in yet still of like we tend to practice in perfect world conditions like five on O or dummy defense or something like that. And that gives us like, oh, wow, look how good our sharp our offense look. We're going we're gonna to be good. Like this is going to really work. And then you go against live bullets, a live opponent, and it's, it's not there. What did you expect? You're, you're playing against a team that wants to win also. And they're there. They're not there to cooperate with you and to make things go well. They're there to disrupt and they're there to impact the outcome through their efforts. Right. So I see it all the time. I'll be talking through some diagrams with coaches and I'll like, OK, what happens? Let me show you what I'm thinking about running. OK, well, what would happen if you can't make that pass or. I hadn't thought about that. Like, oh, well, these are things you need to think of. Like, like we need to make. Uh, so I think sometimes when we get too intricate as coaches, we're practicing optimism, optimism bias. Like we, we think we'll be able to do all this intricate, these intricate things without them being disrupted. And we need to be thinking in terms of how to make what we do on the court more robust and less fragile. We, we don't go into thinking like, like falsely thinking that like, oh, things are going to go great. We're, we, this has looked great we need to kind of be prepared for things to go badly. As you talk. Yeah. And as you talk, the thing that came to my mind is what we have been prone to do a lot of times in our coaching for the decades is we create these perfect environments or we as coaches want these perfect environments. 
and even the drill setup, how we set up a drill. If we go five on O and a three on O, it's mm-hmm. the old why certain kids look incredible in practice when there's not any defense against them. We're not really preparing them for the potential of what if the defense does this or what if this happens. And so that we almost create in ourselves and in our players this optimistic bias. Well, this is going to work out perfectly. And then when it doesn't, you probably fall prey to outcome bias, which we won't go through that again. But yeah, <laughs> that was last week. But oh, man, this worked really well. Or oh, this didn't well work well. Oh, we must need to scrap something or we need to change something or whatever. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's and I think that kind of transitions us to this last part that we want to talk about is how do I avoid this? So what's the solution to this or what are the solutions, whether it's looking big picture at my program or the tactical side of things? How do I make sure that I'm not falling prey to optimism bias? I don't want to. I, it seems like I give the answer, same answer every week when we talk about this. But first, knowing that it's a thing helps. If I had to give one piece of advice about how to prevent it, would be to just look, look at pat, look at your look at past experiences and learn from the experiences of others. Right. So why would you, you know, if maybe you're a head coach who's taken over a new program, you've been a head coach before. You remember those formative years of when you took over the program, you changed jobs or something like, you know, this is going to be hard, you know, that, that, or, or you're able to observe it in another coach who's like, ah, that's a good coach. I know him to be a good coach and he changed jobs or he's working with this team and they're not doing that well. Like, like that's information that you can use too. I think of the example that you gave earlier, like of a player getting hurt. This is what keeps coaches up at night. Those that are trying to avoid this kind of thing because you have to account for a lot of different factors. And then you also have to be prepared for mm-hmm. when that thing does happen. And I think sometimes it can be just, you're looking through these rose colored glasses of how things are going to be. And then when something, especially for younger coaches, when something goes wrong, they're blindsided and it can completely derail a season. Yeah. So instead just being prepared for those things, asking older coaches, what has happened to you in the past? What are some pitfalls you know, for teams that are that you do have a lot of talent. Well, we should win the championship this year. Okay, maybe go and ask some other coaches what things have derailed your seasons from when yeah. you had really good teams. So it's like you said, just being aware of it, but then also a step further than that is like be prepared for those things. Yeah, and you can't be prepared for everything, but you can be prepared for if a player goes down, somebody else is available and somebody else is, has been trained and prepared to take over that spot. Could be as simple as that. So. Yeah. One of the things that I did as a coach, I didn't always do this, but I learned over the years with experience was I started like I started, even though everyone around me, all the other sports programs in the building and everyone I talked to did it differently. I stepped out and and I decided like I was not going to do like, okay, you five, y'all are my starters. Y'all turn to green. Everyone else get in white and day after day after day of this starters and backups mentality. I was very intentional about just instead of like, say I've got a 12 person roster of like, these are my five starters. These are my seven backups. And they're in different classes, if you will, of like, we have 12 players. We have 12 players and everything we did three on three, four on four was, was snake curved S curved where, like our backups got nearly equal reps in and and with an equal quality of reps as starters. Now I get asked all the time, do you think that impacted the chemistry between your five starters? 
And I was like, nah, not really, because what ended up having is I ended up having 12 potential starters, right? So when inevitably what happens is someone turns an ankle, someone uh, gets suspended for disciplinary reasons, someone dyes their hair purple and joins a rock band or whatever happens that causes sort of the attrition, you know, I didn't have to go to one of those backups and go, oh, no, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. like this girl that I've been neglecting and haven't been giving reps to all of a sudden rises to this class of starter. And, and so to me, that was a, I didn't know it at the time, but like, to me, that was a reflection of, of someone learning about optimism bias and learning to be just a wee bit pessimistic about what we need to, to survive the March that is a season. Yeah, that's good. So that's optimism bias. Uh, there's more online about this, by the way, if you want some more that goes along with the things that we're talking about, these are all on the fast model blog. They have uh, basically Randy's articles that he's been referring to as well as our live videos. So you can go back and watch those. Those are part of uh, the series that we have here. Where mm. should we go from here, Randy? I think we need to go to action bias. Okay. So next week, next Friday, we'll be back here. Same time, same place to talk about action bias. Last thing before we wrap up, wanted to thank our sponsors over at Sideline Interactive for partnering with us here at Hoops Forum. Uh, You may be wanting to increase your revenue there with your sports program or just improve the look of your gym. Sideline Interactive is the leading manufacturer in scores tables and scoreboards, video display boards for high schools and colleges around the country. To find out more about those, visit Sideline Interactive. Dot com. Appreciate all of you who have joined us this week and have been along with us for this series here on cognitive biases and coaching. If by chance you missed any part of the show, you can go back and watch the whole thing at Radius Athletics on YouTube, or you can listen to the audio version just by searching a quick timeout podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Appreciate Randy and all he does for us. We'll talk to you again next week.